Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Gardening on C103 with Bandon Co-op Garden Centres in Bandon, Kinsale and Enniskeen. For top quality plants, advice and value, think Bandon Co-op Garden Centres. C103. And Peter Dowd of theirishgardener.com uh, joining me on this. Well, it's now a sunny afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. It is a bit sunny at the moment. I know there's some showers uh, forecast. But when I was reading the forecast, there's a, there's a, no, it's only a grass frost, but there's a frost for tonight. Uh, temperatures down to minus one. Is I'd frost at this time of the year not nothing really to worry about? Not really. They're, they're superficial. Like even over the lovely weekend that we had the gorgeous weather, I was up early and like there was a, there was a slight frost, you know, on the, on the kind of roof of the house and things of like that. Um, it's not it's not unheard of for it to happen at this time of the year. It is a bit unusual because we're at the end of April, but it's not unheard of. But no, I mean it's superficial damage. But I suppose it is it is right to send a word of warning, Trish. So, uh, like anything that you have growing in the garden, like hedges, shrubs, etc., they, they might their new growth might be slightly blackened or, or, or burnt, but they, they'll grow through it. That'll be no problem at all. Uh, but your your summer bedding or any kind of uh, frost tender annuals that you've been starting off from seed or you might have recently got from a garden centre or wherever, uh, they wouldn't. You'd want to be careful with them. All right, if it goes to minus one, even just for one night, that it could do a lot of damage to them. So anything that's what I would call soft, like as I say, your your seedlings or your even your vegetable seedlings, pay attention to them. But most everything else in the garden will be fine. Okay, straight in with uh, questions on for this pictures come in with this, but I don't think John Paul has sent them on to you. But maybe I can just. Uh, uh, tell you what's going on here. It's hi, uh, Trish and Peter. Uh, these are photographs of my trees splitting. Can you help? No traces of deer or hair. I live in the Beira area. This is from Peter. It's a crab apple, a pear, spindle, field maple, mountain ash, all different species, and all of them are splitting. The actual bark is splitting on all of them. That that is interesting. Like, to, if it was just one one variety, you you I might, but I haven't seen the photographs as you say, Trish. So I can't say with any degree of certainty. But if it was just one variety, I would look at maybe it's something like canker or something like that. But it wouldn't be widespread on all those species. So uh, I, if if John Paul sends me on the photographs, I'll, I'll have a look at them on. and I'll certainly yeah. answer it next week. Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll get. It them does sound. Them. It does sound though. It does, sorry to interrupt you, it does sound uh, that it's so widespread on different species. It does sound like an animal, it's like a pest. Okay. Nora says, question for Peter, how do I care for orchids, please? <laughs> Where do I start? Um, the the orchids, like orchids is a huge group of plants, but I, I imagine that I'm, go- I'm right in when, when I say that she's probably talking about the moth orchid, the phalaenopsis, which is the, the, the gorgeous houseplants that are, you know, 
quite commonplace here and they flower for months and they're a really stunning little house plant uh, they give such great value in terms of their flower the care for them really is far less than you might think um they require very little so if you have an orchid let's say uh, and you've, you've you've got it in full flower you got it as a gift or you got it in the shop or whatever just position it in a, in a in a room that's getting a good amount of natural light but it doesn't have to be in direct sunlight so it doesn't have to be at the window or anything like that so just give it a normal as i would say living room or, or kitchen um it will flower away all on its own for three or four, even five months. So all I would do is about once a week, I would stand it into a kind of a bowl or, or a, 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 you know, a saucer full of water uh, and let it absorb what it wants through the root system over about half an hour. Uh, and then after half an hour, just, just empty the bowl and let it, let it drain away again. And do that about once a week. And that will be enough water for it. Don't don't now you will see some textbooks and some things say to mist it to create humidity i don't mist around the orchids and i think it's unnecessary and the reason i don't is because if any of that mist gets on the flower petals you'll see the tiny little black spots develop on the petals so i would just water it from below then the interesting thing is when the flower dies back trish um which it will in time after a few months don't don't first of all don't throw the orchid out don't presume it's gone it's not it's just that the flower has stopped uh, but e equally don't don't remove all the flower stem down to ground level something i used to do until i until i i i learned more i learned better um so you don't remove the whole flower stem if you look at the flower stem you'll see a little node or a couple of nodes on that stem it's like uh, the best way to describe it's like a little green band-aid around halfway down the stem so so cut to that node right so leave the node at the top of the stem that you're leaving behind you uh, and what that will do is uh, you'll you'll see after a month or more you'll see another flower stem will emerge from that node um, so when it's at the point, you can either leave, cut it back to the node and either leave it where it is or move it to somewhere less obvious in the house. I, I kind of mind thrives and neglect when it stops flowering. I cut it back and I put it on top of the bookshelf and forget about it for a few months. And then I would say after about two or three months, uh, you can start uh, giving it a drop of orchid feed, liquid orchid feed about once a week, once a fortnight. And you'll have more flowers coming on in no time at all, really, after a couple of months. And they like to be fairly pot bound, don't they, orchids? <laughs> Sorry, that's a very good point, Jess. They do. They need to be pot bound, so don't don't kill it with kindness. You'll see the roots nearly breaking the pot. Uh, but they, 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 as you say, they need to be under stress to produce the bloom. So you might you might think you're you're doing the right thing by giving it a nice big pot with lots of compost. Actually, that's the worst thing for it. It doesn't want it. The compost is really just to hold it. It's it's an epiphytic orchid, so it, it doesn't need any nutrient from the compost. You want just bark and maybe a bit of grit uh, to keep it good and open in a pot, as you say, that that looks too small for it. Okay, Jack from Glasheen has written to us uh, saying, question please for Peter. When is the best time to divide daffodil bulbs, narcissus, etc.? Uh, thanking you for your excellent programme. Well, th thank you very much. Well, I suppose the compliment for the excellent programme is to you, but no, I'll, I'll take it for the garden. No, it's because it said garden section, <laughs> so I'm, giving, I'm passing it to you. Okay, what, what can you um, And a lot of people will have the daffodils are, have died. If absolutely. Still, I've still seen a lot of them in bloom, but a lot of them have died back at this stage. A lot of them will have gone, as you say, a lot are still in bloom. That will depend on the variety as well as what part of the country you're gardening in. Um, but tulips and all these things are still in bloom. Alliums are only, will only be only just beginning over the next couple of weeks. So dealing with what he's talking about there, daffodils, narcissus, tulips, all those spring bulbs, uh, it, it's very simple, really. With daffodils, you can actually leave them in the ground from year to year and then every four or five years lift them to divide them. So when you lift them to divide them, which is what the question is, Leave the foliage die back and leave the flower stem wither and die back because all the chlorophyll and all the nutrients in, the, in those leaves and that stem, 
is going to go back into the the bulb, which is just a modified swollen swollen stem uh, and leaves, um, and that's the food reserve for next year's flower and next year's growth. Okay, so let it all go back into the bulb, and it's a good idea when the foliage is dying back to to feed those with a good quality tomato food, like the t nature safe tomato food. So it, so it has all the nutrients and potassium and phosphorus for for doing well next year. When they have all died back and gone brown lift them out of the ground then so that will probably still be a few weeks away maybe even a month or more away so when they've gone brown lift them out of the ground where you did have one bulb you'll see now that that root plate could be sustaining three or four or, eight, or maybe even five or six bulbs so literally just pull them apart divide them into individual bulbs wrap them in a bit of newspaper a bit of straw something like that keep the, even a brown paper bag uh and um and, and store them somewhere cool and dry until planting out from, from September onwards again. Now, if it's tulips that you're doing, it's exactly the same same process, but I wouldn't plant my tulips out till later in the year, probably December, January, even as late as January for tulips. Okay, you're going to hate hearing this one. Anne in Lep says, my daughter yeah. has purchased a house at Japanese knotweed growing and it's getting near the house. What advice would Peter give her? Oh, it's, 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 this is such a... A quagmire of an issue, if you like, because there's legal implications here and everything. And uh, anyway, do, do, just to make people aware that if you're selling a house, you do need to you do need to to declare if there is Japanese knotweed in the site or on the site. But that's the first thing. Anyway, uh, if you have it, the, the the only advice I can really give you is to to contact one of the because there's only a couple of professional companies out there um that deal with japanese knotweed and that are licensed to deal with it so if a, if a landscaper comes in for example or some fella comes in and says oh let me dig that up and take it off site for you don't let them do it it's illegal to take it off your site and if as a result of it leaving your site it spreads to somewhere else you are liable so be very aware okay. of that nobody is allowed to transport soil with japanese knotweed in it nobody there's nobody licensed to do it in ireland right okay so that's the first thing so it's a you could only control it on site now the best practice is uh, is still glyphosate which is the, the weed killer the active ingredient in most weed killers uh, the, the one that's getting so much bad press over the last couple of years but that's what the the licensed companies use to control it and that is the way to control it now they they they're quite specific with it in that they inject it into the stem at the right time of the year um my advice to you save tackling it yourself is to get on to one of the licensed companies uh there's one i can't it's a kerry company uh, i I don't want to give out the name in case it's the wrong name. It's, it's. I'm, you, I know, I know it's close to the right name, but I can't yeah, remember the correct if, name. If but it's a Kerry it, company. Yeah, it'll come up if you if you do a Google search for knotweed. Yes, removal. It, yeah, we're knotweed removal. And Kieran is this guy's name. He, he's done several projects for me over the years in in controlling it, and he's very good. He's, he's probably the best in the country at knowing what he's doing with it. Uh, so I, I'm afraid I'm not going to advise you to go at it yourself. Yeah, I would, would get, the get uh, somebody in. in. Absolutely, get yeah, the experts. Yeah. Get the experts in. Okay. Well, apart from anything else, Trish. Apart from sorry again. Apart yeah. from anything else, that protects you. So if you're dealing with a licensed company on the control of, they have a management program in place that protects you in case that spreads. Okay. 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 All right. Chris has been on his hydrangea got burnt due to frost. Can it? Can I cut it back? Yes, I would. Again, like we were talking about at the start of the program, that frost on hydrangeas is only going to be very uh, superficial damage, not no long-term damage. Do cut it back now if you haven't cut it back yet this year. Yeah. Helen says, is it too cold to feed the grass? Uh, I have lawn gold ready to go, but I'm wondering with the weather, is it a little bit too cold? Also staying with the kind of chilly nights, tomato plants, is it too early to put them outside and other small plants? 
I would say definitely yes too early for your tomato plants. And when you say other small plants, I'm going to take a guess and say that she's talking about the, the kind of plants I mentioned at the start, your little seedlings yeah, of annuals yeah. and things like that are vegetables. I would say yes, too early because of the frost. If you do put them out, make sure you put some fleece over them in the evenings or maybe put them out for a few hours each day and take them in for the evenings, harden them off that way. In terms of feeding the grass with something like lawn gold, You'd normally say that we're okay in April to do it, but yeah, it does. The soil temperature, I think it needs to be 9, 10 degrees. I'm not certain if it is that. I would say we're probably okay, and if it's temporarily going down, I wouldn't be too worried. So I would say get the long gold on now, yeah. Mary Kilbehany has a rhododendron, 12 years old. No flowers towards the end of it. Can I plant new flowers underneath the existing rhododendron? So it's top-heavy with flowers. Okay, so okay, I understand. So it's gone top heavy, yes, and all the growth has gone to the top, and the flowers are up there. You you can grow plants underneath the rhododendron, uh, but it's going to be trial and error, Trish, because when you have like normally with the rhododendron like that, or every, any evergreen plant like that, like a camellia or anything. The, the area directly underneath the crown of it really is probably going to be too shaded for anything to grow. So you can give it a go is my answer, but it, it will be trial and error. You, you may or not be successful. Okay, Mary in Botford has planted one rhubarb plant. Obviously never done it before, so she's looking for advice on feeding it. And she's also wondering, should she have other plants or can you just grow one rhubarb plant? And what would you suggest feeding the solo rhubarb plant with? Well, yes, you can just grow one rhubarb plant. It's not okay. one of these that needs a male and a female or, or another one to pollinate. So you can grow one quite successfully all on its own. Um, they are they do like to be well fed and they like a seaweed feed. So again, the nature safe Atlantic seaweed. The reason I keep going back to that one is because it's a very, very rich one. And the seaweed in it, well, number one, it's sustainably harvested, which is incredibly important, obviously, um, off the Galway coast. And it's cold pressed, which means it doesn't lose any of the nutrient value in it. Um, so go for the nature safe Atlantic seaweed. It's a very rich liquid seaweed feed. Uh, drench it with that and that will do it no end of good. Over the winter months, you could, or even now, but, but particularly over the winter months, you'd normally mulch it with something like a good quality farmyard manure, seaweed from the beach if you can, um, a, a good quality farmyard manure or any well-rotted organic matter uh, just to improve the soil structure and the soil texture and the, the nutrient level around it. Uh, and really, once you have that and once you're feeding it, 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 it'll do fine for you. Mary in Canturk planted Portuguese laurel this time last year. So it's 12 months uh, planted. Should I feed it now? And if so, with what? Uh, yes, well, if it, if you think it needs it and if it's in its first 12 months or just at the end of its first 12 months, it's still establishing, so I would feed it. And again, I'd go back to, to the, the seaweed feed, the, the, the nature safe seaweed feed, the liquid seaweed, drench all the, the, the hedge and that. And you'll, I actually did my own, not Portuguese laurel, but some, some bay laurel there recently and red robin with it. And you can nearly see it thanking me and it's nearly growing in front of me. I know these, these ones are in pots, um, but... Yeah, do give it a shot with that and it'll help the roots to establish. Actually, Nora was on to say, um, is it Seamongus, the fertiliser? She, uh, she yeah. has some, but she has it a long time. She's wondering, is it still OK to use? She does have it a long time because Seamongus isn't available, I don't think, in Ireland. <laughs> oh, wow, I'd say maybe, dare I say, 12 years. Now, I might be wrong on that, but it's quite a while. It's an excellent product mixture of, um, of chicken manure and seaweed. 
uh, I would imagine, I don't know is the short answer, but I'd say if it's been in a sealed container for that length of time, I would say, yeah, it's certainly worth using. I would think it's probably okay. Yeah, no, you've nothing to lose if it, ha- if it has gone nothing off. I to don't lose. think it's going to do anything wrong. Um, Shane in North Cork. Well, Peter, what would you recommend to plant on an earthen bank now to add a bit of colour as the daffodils are dying off? Also, will increasing the humus content of the soil help with vegetable growth? What are your thoughts, please? Absolutely. Increasing the humus content of the soil, which is basically just adding organic matter, Trish, is, is probably the most important things we can ever be doing in the garden in terms of plant feeding and that. Like, we, we want we rely on the soil to grow everything and I don't want to go off on a tangent here and bore the pants off you but the, 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 the magical energy which we call soil which covers the six inches of the planet is responsible for everything everything we eat our medicines all the flowers everything so the more we can add to it in terms of organic matter and improving the humus content the better all plants will do better edibles and ornamental so definitely definitely that that's what we should be doing um in terms of after the daffodils what to put in an earthen bank for color it's it's kind of a bit of a vague question because you need to know more in terms of aspect and whether you want ground cover plants or just more bulbs to extend the season so if it was more bulbs to extend the season uh, i would look at earlier in the year you could put in your snowdrops and crocus and then you'd have the daffodils and then after the daffodils you could have some tulips and then as the tulips die off you could put in some um uh, alliums so so that you'd have color that way from right from kind of end of december through to the end of june just with flower bulbs but if you're after ground cover plants you could be you could be looking at things like tony asters some of the herbaceous geraniums like, like the cranes bills like roseanne is a particularly nice one um but if it's just bulbs as i say maybe look at tulips and alliums to extend the season on a bit later and James in Mallow has uh, a ro- has road frontage ditch. It's 150 feet in length and four foot wide. What's the best coverage I can get for it? Would it be seeds or plants? Something that'll spread fast, says James in Mallow. <laughs> That's, uh, again, another vague one, I'm afraid. Yeah. A difficult one to answer without seeing the situation because I, I was actually up beyond Mallow la- yesterday looking at a garden for somebody and the lovely stone ditch as well there. And... It's covered in ivy and covered in, in grass, like most ditches, you know, covered in, in wilderness. Um, if you try to grow something in that situation, you're going to be unsuccessful. You need to leave it to nature. But but, but the, the question here, you see, if I haven't, I haven't seen that ditch. So if there's nothing on it, if it's just bare soil, uh, seeds, a, a good mixture of native wildflower seeds would probably be the best thing of all to put in there because they'll, they'll germinate quickly, they'll establish quickly uh, and they're native so they're going to do well and of course you're then doing your bit for the pollinators yeah, for the and, and for promoting biodiversity. Yeah, yeah. So I think I'd probably go wildflower seeds, yeah. yeah. And then another listener says, is there a manure to put on lawn to kill moss that won't blacken the lawn? Have you ever heard of anything like that? Yeah, well, manure as such, but there's lots of things you can put. Like, so it's sulfate of iron is what bla- is what blackens the moss, and I'm not a fan of using sulfate of iron for moss, uh, as I, I've said before. And it's because yes, it does kill the moss, but it also makes the soil more acidic, which of course is the ideal conditions for moss to come back. So you you want to look at something that's going to to um to increase the pH of the soil and to make it more alkaline, because that's the optimum pH for grass but moss can't tolerate it so it's a bit of a back to basics approach I had a chat actually I don't know if you saw Trish on, on the Facebook Ask the Gardener session that I do last Friday with uh, a fellow called David Hedges Gower he's, he's chairman of the Lawn Association in the UK and he's kind of 
leading expert in lawn care this part of the world if you like he's a gardener's world presenter on lawn care and things like that uh, so i was chatting with him on facebook and if anybody's interested if you go onto my facebook page irish gardener it's it's last friday's ask the gardener episode and you'll see so i mean david is as i say probably the top in one of the one of the top in the world in terms of greenkeeping he gives great advice on on how to control moss and again he's going back to the importance of what's below the ground the soil as opposed to what we put on top of it That's so some, have some a look the irish gardener last week's ask the gardener with david Okay, and we finish with uh, love listening to Peter's advice. I have an orchid that has flowered on and off for the past three years and exactly what he was talking about. Very little care is needed. Uh, thanking you for your slot every week. Okay, that's where we wrap it up. And your your Facebook, is it still one o'clock on a Friday? One o'clock on a Friday, one yeah. O'clock. And just get your questions in during the programme, yeah. Okay, theirishgardener.com. We'll speak to you next week. Thanks for that, Peter. And uh, thanks uh, for joining Thank us. You. That is uh, Peter Dowdle. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.